Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I, I pray that you'd help us this morning. I, th this subject is difficult. It's difficult for all of us. We pray, Father, you'd help us that we might recover from and, and uh, make progress in our ability to glorify you in our eating. Strange as it may sound. We pray you'd help us, Lord. Give us light from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. It's interesting, you picked this topic the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Well, aren't you glad I didn't do it the Sunday before Thanksgiving? <laughs> right? Would have been even worse if I had done it the Sunday before. Yes, it would have. Yeah, true. Um, so today in America, the opportunity for us to commit this particular sin, the sin of gluttony, is probably at an all-time high. If you think about the history of the world and the various nations of the world and the abundance that they have had or had a lack thereof, think about the United States of America in 2017, and there's no question that we have a super abundance of food within our nation to choose from. They just opened a Rayleigh supermarket right across the street down here. And the first time I went in there, I was literally stunned at the, well, the size of it. <laughs> and then as you begin to walk aisle after aisle, the myriad of different things that are available to choose from, I mean, the, it seems like it's almost limitless in terms of what you can obtain, what kinds of food you can enjoy if you want to. I just heard this last week that 20 years ago, the average number of options in a supermarket was 9,000, and today it's 35,000. So it's quadrupled in the last 20 years. Before you had a market to go to, now you've got supermarkets <laughs> to go to. And so the, the temptation for us to commit gluttony is greater than it has ever been, probably since the beginning of time. In many nations, there just isn't an opportunity because they eke out a living from day to day. They have barely enough food to get through that day. Uh, perhaps this is why 67% of Americans are either overweight or obese, is because of the, the temptation is so great for us today. So today we're going to tackle the sin of gluttony. We've been talking about all various kinds of sins. Last week we talked about laziness. This week it's going to be gluttony. And gluttony is the most accepted sin within the church. It's the most tolerated sin. We, we will not tolerate many other sins, but when it comes to this one, everybody just winks and turns the other way, and we just sort of say, well, that's just, you know, that's just something we all do. We just accept it. It's utterly ignored from the pulpit. How many sins have you, or sermons have you ever heard on the subject of gluttony? I mean, I think I'm probably crazy for trying to do it today because it's just, people don't like this topic, <laughs> but it is a topic that's in the Bible. It is a topic that we should learn from. God has something to say about it. In fact, the church fathers of centuries past compiled a list of the seven deadly sins and gluttony was one of those seven deadly sins. So I think because of these things, we need to give more attention to this particular sin rather than less because it is so accepted in our culture and it's so prevalent everywhere. So this is how we're going to go about it today. I'm going to ask four questions. What is gluttony? What does the Bible teach about gluttony? 
How can I know when I'm committing gluttony? And then how can I overcome gluttony? And notice I personalize that. I use the word I rather than you because I think each one of us needs to personalize this particular sin. Rather than looking at other people, we should look at ourselves. I dare say I believe every single one of us in this room has committed this sin before. And maybe some of us commit it often. And we need to become aware of that so we can repent of it. All right, let's take a look. The first question is, what is gluttony? If we're to identify it, we have to know what it is. Well, the dictionary definition is a super simple definition. It's an overindulgence in food or drink. Very simple. An overindulgence. The Latin word from which we get the word gluttony means to gulp. <laughs> to gulp. G-U-L-P. To gulp down. So a glutton is one who gulps. He's an overeater. Or an excessive drinker when it comes to alcohol. Either one of those could be considered gluttony. Although for our purposes this morning, we're going to focus not so much on over-drinking as in overeating. That's the most common way that we understand this word. But the Bible really gives us more information on what this sin is than just the fact that it's an overindulgence in food or drink. The Bible identifies lusts of the flesh. That phrase comes up many times in the New Testament. Well, Gluttony is a lust of the flesh. It's a craving that proceeds from our flesh, our bodily appetites. So what does the Bible have to say about the lusts of the flesh? We should ask that question. Well, let's start in Romans 13 today. Verses 13 and 14. So here's the Apostle Paul, and he says, Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness. And drunkenness is very closely connected to gluttony in the scripture, as we will see. So not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. So here we're told, we're, we're, he, he lists several things that could fall under the category of the lusts of the flesh, like drunkenness, sensuality, promiscuity. And his final statement there is, we are to make no provision for it. In other words, don't plan for it. Don't store up so that you can do that. Make no provision for these fleshly lusts in your life. Okay, let's look at another one. Well, actually, before we do that, let me just say this. We ought not get the impression from today's sermon that food is bad somehow. Food is somehow evil. It's not. Food is good. Food is a gift from God. And the things that God has made and created for His people are, are all of them good. God created everything. The, the fruit-bearing trees. And He said it is very good when He was finished with that. So the problem is not food. God has given us many things that are great, but we in our fallen nature have perverted them and abused them. God has created us with certain desires, hasn't he? We have the desire or the need to eat and to drink. We have the desire and the need to sleep. If we don't, we'll become a wreck over time. We have the desire uh, for sex. Those, of, uh, those who are married, um, actually 
You don't even have to be married, but there's this need for, for sex. So what happens is that God gives us these good gifts and we pervert them and abuse them. So when it comes to sleep, well, we abuse that either by not getting enough sleep, wearing out our body, or sleeping way too much, which would probably be connected to the sin of laziness, which we talked about last week. When it comes to sex, we pervert that gift by committing fornication, having sex with someone you're not married to, or adultery, or homosexuality. There's various ways we can pervert and abuse that gift of God. It's a precious gift within the confines of marriage, but take it outside of that, and it becomes sin. And the same is true with food. It's a precious gift from God, but we can abuse the gift by overindulging in the things that God has given to us so that it actually becomes a God substitute in our life. All right, with that said, let's take another look at a verse that speaks about the lust of the flesh. So this is Ephesians chapter 2. Here the Apostle Paul is describing those who are dead in their sins. And in verse 3, he says, Among them we too, all of us Christians within the church, all of us, we too, all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. So notice he talks about two different types of lusts here. You have lusts of the flesh, and what else? Lusts of the mind. Mental lusts, bodily lusts. Paul says, we used to indulge ourselves in these lusts. We formerly did this. But now that we have been saved, God has been teaching us that we are not to overindulge in these lusts of the flesh. We're not to sin by abusing these good gifts of God. First um, John chapter 2. John says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. All that is in the world, the love of the... I'm sorry, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives or abides forever. So here we're told not to love the world. And the, he, he expresses world in three categories, doesn't he? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So this category over here, the lusts of the flesh, we're told we are not to love that. We're not to love that. And then the scripture we started off this whole series with, Romans 8.13, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body you will live. So, if you're living according to the flesh, you're going to die. And I believe the death there is talking about eternal death. Hell. But if you are putting to death the deeds of the body, which is to live according to the flesh, those two are linked, if you're putting those things to death, you will live. One of the ways that you know you're a Christian is that you don't just go on indulging the flesh in sinful ways. But when God shows you that you've committed sin, that you deal with that sin. Okay? So, what does the Bible have to say about the lusts of the flesh? We're to make no provision for them. It's characteristic of a lost world, not the church, not the saved. And we are not to love them. 
Rather, we are to put those lusts to death. That's a summary of the New Testament teaching on the lusts of the flesh. But the Bible goes further. Not only is it defined as an overindulgence in food or drink, not only is it described as a lust of the flesh, but it also is being enslaved to our appetites. That's another characteristic of gluttony. It's being enslaved to your appetites. And there are texts in the New Testament that speak to this issue. So the first one I want to show you is Romans 16. This is verses 17 and 18. Now Paul writes to the church there in Rome and he says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. Actually, the King James says belly, because the Greek word there can mean stomach or belly or womb. It literally is, it means hollow, the hollow part of the body. <laughs> Such men are slaves, not of Jesus Christ, but of their own bellies, their appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. So there was a group of people that were a threat to the church at Rome, they were divisive. They were causing dissensions and divisions. And he said one of the characteristics of this group of people is that they're slaves not of Jesus Christ. They're slaves of their appetites. Interesting expression, isn't it? How would you like on your tombstone it to be written, this man was not a slave of Christ, but of his own appetites. That would be pretty dismal, wouldn't it? Now, go over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 12, the Apostle Paul has been talking about food offered to idols. That's the context of the statement we're going to read. He says in verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. Probably, I'm thinking in the back of his mind, Paul is thinking about food offered to idols. Was, if he ate it or if he didn't eat it, it's no big deal either way. Paul understands that there's nothing wrong with food just because somebody offered it to an idol. He can eat it. Um, some people couldn't eat it with a good conscience, but Paul could. All things are lawful for him, but not all things are profitable. Not all things will be beneficial for him. All things are lawful for me, but he says, I will not be mastered by anything. Now, Okay, Paul, what are you talking about? What's in your mind when you said, I won't be mastered by anything? Well, the very next statement in verse 13 says, food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. And then he begins to talk about sexual immorality through the rest of the passage from 13b through verse 20. But the very first thing he mentions after he says, I won't be mastered by anything, he mentions food. And in some versions where it says food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, they put quotation marks around that because they believe that was a, um, a slogan that the Corinthians were, would be in the habit of repeating. What they meant is, we can do anything we want with our bodies because the body was made for food and food was made for the, for the stomach. And so why don't we just live it up? and just indulge as much as we please because, hey, food was made for the stomach, so let's get more food into the stomach. <laughs> Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. So that was the apostle's approach when it came to anything that would seek to have dominion in his life or seek to control him. 
The problem when it comes to gluttony is that we begin to lose control and the food begins to take control over us. And it's really not the food. It's our heart. It's our appetites. It's our flesh. Our, the cravings of our flesh begin to have control over us. And that's where we need to look to the example of the Apostle Paul because he had some insight here. He said, I refuse to be mastered. If I find myself coming under the dominion, the control, or the power of something, then I have to find a way out because I refuse to be mastered by that thing. So gluttony then is being enslaved to our appetites. It's, it's a lust of the flesh. And then the third thing that we can notice about gluttony is it's really idolatry when you come down to it. Right. As really any sin is when you look at it long enough and deep enough, it's idolatry. And because it substitutes the true and living God for this food, it belittles the true God because we're substituting this for Him in our life. You say, well, Brian, where do I get that idea? Well, you've, you've read Romans 1 many times. In Romans 1 verse 25, it says that they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And what the glutton will do with food is he worships and serves that food rather than God. Food has become too important to him. It's become the master passion, the master pursuit of his life. So, it's idolatry. Philippians chapter 3. I just love it when Oleg puts all these up because I don't even have to turn there. <laughs> but anyway, Philippians 3, 18 and 19 says, For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite. Literally, whose God is their belly. Amen and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. So here we have that again. Their God, their God is their belly. Now we have to be very, very careful not to make food or our belly our God. And if we find ourselves coming to the place where food is becoming more important than God in our life, that's a big deal. That's something that we really need to think about and repent of and turn from. Well, how would you know if food is becoming a God substitute? Well, compare the amount of time you think about food to the amount of time you think about God. Just compare the two. How much time you spent pursuing food versus pursuing God? And if it's lopsided, it's a slam dunk in terms of food over God, you know you've got a problem there. Okay, so what is gluttony? It's an overindulgence in food, it's a lust of the flesh, it's being enslaved to our appetites, and it's idolatry. Second question, what does the Bible teach about gluttony? Well, interestingly, the word glutton or gluttony does not appear very many times in the Bible. In the New American Standard Version, it comes up seven times. I want to show you three verses, all of them from the Old Testament, that will throw some light on this subject. Okay, The first one is in Deuteronomy 21, 18-21. And here God is giving instructions on what you do if you have an incorrigible child. <laughs> That's a, are you familiar with the word incorrigible? I first learned that word related to Babe Ruth. They call Babe Ruth incorrigible. 
It basically means you can't do anything with this person because he will not listen. He will not be corrected. Okay, here's the text. Deuteronomy 18, or 21, 18 to 21. If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother, and when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them, then his father and mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gateway of his hometown. They shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is, notice this, a glutton and a drunkard. The two things he's characterized by. Then all of the men of his city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear of it and fear. Now this is an extreme case. You're not going to find very many situations like this. This is a situation where there's a son. He will not obey his father or his mother. If they try to correct him, he doesn't listen. He does whatever he wants to do. He's characterized by being stubborn and rebellious. But further than that, he's characterized by gluttony and drunkenness. In other words, he lives by unbridled lust. The unbridled lust for drink, the unbridled lust for food. He will not listen. He will not be corrected. Now, in the Old Testament... It's hard for us even to believe this. We thought, are you serious? They would take this son to the elders of the city at the gates. All the men of the city would rise up with stones in their hand and they would execute. This is a way of capital punishment. What he had done was so serious that he had to be removed from the people of Israel lest he infect them, with, unless he pollute them with this attitude of insubordination and this rebellious spirit. But I just, I did find it interesting, first of all, that drunkenness and gluttony are connected together. Did you see that? They go together like hand in glove. Secondly, that the, this was so severe, he had to be executed. And, and, and thirdly, that it was, that his example was in danger of polluting or corrupting the other people of Israel. He had to be removed. It says, you shall remove the evil from your midst. Now let's go further, and let's go to Proverbs 23, verse 21. This proverb says, For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. Did you notice also again that drinking and gluttony are connected? Probably if you do not have self-control when it comes to food, you're not going to have self-control when it comes to drink. Right? They just go right together. Secondly, the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty. Now that's an odd one. The glutton, I can understand why the drinker would come to poverty. If you go down to the mission, you'll see a whole room full of people that heavy drinking has driven them to poverty. They're all living on the street. They have nothing left. Drinking has done that to them. But why would gluttony do that? What was that? Yes, yes. Both drinking, heavy drinking, and gluttony stem from the same root problem, which is a lack of control over yourself. And when you lose control over yourself, you lose control over how you spend, you lose control over what you eat, what you drink, and all of these things contribute to the fact that in one way or another, you're going to, your life is going downhill. <laughs> he says you're going to come to poverty. It said the same thing about laziness in our scripture from last week. 
that the lazy man will become come to poverty as well. And it says, drowsiness will clothe one with rags. So that's the second scripture about gluttony. Connected to drinking, brings him to poverty, and ends up uh, bringing him to a place of rags. Okay, the third one is Proverbs 28, verse 7. He who keeps the law is a discerning son, but he who is a companion of gluttons humiliates his father. Now, notice carefully that there is a word but that separates the first part of that verse from the second part of the verse. How does the word but function in a sentence? It connects it, but how? It contrasts. It contrasts. So the first half of this sentence is to be contrasted with the second half of the sentence. The first half is, he who keeps the law is a discerning son. But, now we're going to get to the opposite of the discerning son who keeps the law. What's the opposite of that? It's a companion of gluttons who humiliates his father. So that what we can learn from this is that a companion of glutton seems to be contrasted with or the opposite of this one who is discerning and who keeps the law. Now, 1 John 3, 4 says that sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is the transgression of the law. So if the one who keeps the law is a discerning son, then the opposite of the one who keeps the law being a glutton, we would therefore deduce that gluttony is contrary to God's will. It's contrary to His law. It's a transgression of His design for mankind. So it would fall into the category of sin. Okay, let's move to our third question. We've talked about what is sin. And we talked about what the Bible teaches about sin. Or, I'm sorry. No. What is gluttony? And what does the Bible teach about gluttony? So the statements that we brought up in this last question were those that specifically have the word glutton or gluttony inside the verse. But we're going to move on from there and talk about how can I know when I am committing gluttony? Because sometimes you don't know, right? You wonder, is this gluttony or not? Should I be doing this or not? Is this glorifying to God or not? So let's see if we can nail this down. First of all, not necessarily by the amount of food that we consume. Not necessarily by the amount of food that you consume. Why do I say that? Well, because some people have physically demanding jobs where they're burning up lots of fuel just to be able to have the energy to get that job done. Some people are athletes and they're training and they're exerting themselves to the utmost. They need more food than someone who's sedentary. Uh, some women are pregnant. They need more food than a non-pregnant woman. So you can't judge simply by the amount of food being consumed. And you can't judge this necessarily by how much you weigh or what pant size you have. Why do I say that? Because we have different metabolic systems. Some people have a fast metabolism. Some people have a slow metabolism, which tells us that you can be thin and have a fast metabolism and still be a glutton. Amen. And you can be overweight and have a slow metabolism and be physically unable to exercise and not be a glutton. So we can't judge each other on this issue. We need to point the finger back at ourselves and ask ourselves, regardless of what kind of metabolism I have, am I a glutton? So here's a question to ask that might be helpful. Do I have an obsession with food? 
Okay, I think that that can help us. Do I have an obsession with it? That means, do I think about it a lot? More than I should. Is it always on my mind? Last week we talked about laziness. And the world says, we work so we can rest. Right? They were looking forward to that weekend. We're looking forward to fun. We're looking forward to leisure and pleasure on the weekend. So that's the philosophy of the world. We work so we can rest. The believer says, no, we rest so we can work. Work is the point of life, not resting. God put us on this earth to do something, right? Well, it's, it's similar when it comes to gluttony. The world says, live so you can eat. And the believer says, I eat so I can live. And why do I live? So I can glorify God. I've been put on this earth to glorify God, and I need fuel, I need food to do that. And also, I can enjoy the good gift of food from my Heavenly Father if I don't abuse it. And that's fine. God wants us to do that. So we have to ask ourselves, am I preoccupied with food? Is it way too important to me? How much time do I spend thinking about it, preparing it, thinking about the next meal as soon as I've had the first one? You know, do I eat when I don't need to eat? I'm already full, but I just keep on eating. Those might be... Those might be symptoms. I, I really think it's not a food problem so much as it's a heart problem when we commit this sin. Would you go to Matthew 15? Oh, here we go. Matthew 15, 17 to 20. Notice what Jesus said. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come all these evil things, like evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. In other words, Jesus said, it's not the food that goes in that makes you evil. You are already evil. Your heart's wrong. And it just manifests itself in all these various different ways. So if we have a problem with gluttony, food isn't the problem. Our heart is. And we have to get down to that issue. Something's wrong inside of me. I need to ask the Lord to do heart surgery on me because I idolize or I love food more than I should. I indulge the cravings of my flesh more than I ought. And it, in some cases, then it becomes dishonoring to God. Okay, so that's the first question. Do I have an obsession with food? Second question, am I looking to food rather than to God? Okay, think about this. When do people most often eat when they don't really need to eat? Can you think of a time? Stressed. When they're stressed, okay. All right, what else? Celebration. Okay, sure, a celebration. And, and I should say this. God built in some celebrations, some festivals in the Old Testament where he, the people were supposed to just enjoy themselves. They were supposed to take a tithe, and they were supposed to take that 10% and buy whatever their hearts desire, it says. You can look it up if you want. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. It was a festival tithe. So God is not, um, he doesn't forbid all celebrations, all feastings. There are special occasions for us to celebrate and to enjoy God's good gifts. So I'm not saying that at all, but let's go back to our question. <laughs> the question is, when do we normally 
eat when we don't need to. Well, someone said stressed. Can you think of any other times? When you're <laughs> no, I'm saying when you're not hungry. When you're not hungry, when do you do it? Depressed. Hmm? When, you're depressed. when you're depressed. Okay, there's another time. Yep. What else? When you're bored. Don't you find that? I'm just bored. I don't know. I, yeah, let's eat. That'll be fun. That'll fill up the time. Okay, so when I'm lonely, when I'm depressed, when I'm stressed, when I'm bored, when I'm empty, if I'm running to food to meet the need at that particular time, rather than to God, it could be a sign that I'm committing gluttony at that point. Because God wants to be the one that meets the needs in our life. If I run to food when I'm bored, I'm saying that food is more interesting than God is. If I run to food rather than to God when I need comfort, I'm saying God is more, or food is more comforting to me than God is. And food then becomes a God substitute. We try to comfort ourselves, relieve stress in our lives, feel, make things interesting by eating. And it all comes back to God. You think, well, that's crazy. But yeah, it does. Everything in our life really comes back to God. Have you ever th wondered why did God create people with a need for food? I thought about that this week. Because I don't think the angels have to eat in order to survive. At least I've never read in the Bible that they have to. But I know that we do. Why did God make us that way? He could have made us just like the angels where we didn't have to eat at all. And the more I thought about it, the more I think the answer is that God wanted food and our lives to be like a signpost pointing us to our need for God. Because we realize that we are not independent and self-sufficient. If we don't get something from outside of us into us every day, we're going to grow weak and eventually die. We are dependent. We are reliant upon food for survival. And, and Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says, he who eats my bread... My, no, he's my body and drinks my blood, has my life in themselves. He says, I am the living water. He who drinks from me has everlasting life. So Jesus is bread. Jesus is drink. He's water. And so we can learn from the way God created us to, to go beyond that. That's just sort of a, a shadow of the reality. He is our real life, and we must rely upon him and take him in to be able to survive to have his life. So if we're looking to food for comfort or satisfaction or companionship or zest in life or whatever it is that God ought to have in our life, then that's a, that's a sign to us that we need to really take notice of that and make a change. Okay, let's go to the fourth question which is, how can I overcome gluttony? If I see any signs of it in my life, what do I do about it? Well, good answer. I'm going to give you five suggestions. Five suggestions. Number one, be filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He could have said, do not be gorged with food, but be filled with the Spirit. We won't be controlled by the Holy Spirit and we won't bear the fruits of the Holy Spirit unless we're filled with the Spirit. 
You say, well, Brian, I thought everybody was filled with the Spirit. Evidently not, because we're commanded to be. If we already were automatically, there would be no reason for him to command it. You see, the Bible says we can also quench the Spirit. We can also resist the Spirit. So everybody is not filled overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Some of us are half full. <laughs> some, some people are filled overflowing. The, the cup is at the very top. Some of it, it's a quarter full. Some of it's a half full. If you want to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you need to be filled with the Spirit. And in Galatians 5.23, the Apostle Paul says that the fruits of the Spirit include self-control, which is what we lack when we commit this sin of gluttony. So every believer has the Spirit, but in different measures. Now, Jesus taught in Luke 11, He said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, think about that. Your heavenly Father, he's talking to his disciples, not to non-Christians, not to unsaved people. He's talking to his disciples. They had a heavenly Father, and he tells them, Christians, to ask that heavenly Father for the Holy Spirit. So it is biblical for you as a child of God to ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask for him to fill you. Pray. The only way any of us are ever going to be able to put to death these sins of the flesh is by the Spirit anyway. Romans 8.13 tells us, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit, he gives us the key right at the door. If by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. It's the only way. So we need to be filled with the Spirit. It's a God issue. It's not just an issue of willpower. You know, I'm just going to tell myself from now on, I'm going to determine not to have that second piece of cheesecake or whatever it is. No, it's, it's a God issue. Am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Because if I am, uh, self-control flows out of that relationship. So here we go. If we're to be filled with the Spirit, then another thing akin to that, I would say, is glut yourself on Jesus. Instead of on food, glut yourself on Christ. In other words, overindulge yourself in your relationship with Jesus Christ because you can never go too far. It is never wrong to pursue God too much. You can't do it too much. You can't overeat when it comes to feasting on Christ. It's impossible. Jonathan Edwards said, There is no such thing as excess in our taking of spiritual food. There is no such virtue as temperance in spiritual feasting. So it's not a virtue for you to... Be really moderate when it comes to feasting on Christ. God wants you to feast on Him as much as you can. So be filled with the Spirit. Seek the Spirit. Seek more of God in your life. Seek more communion with God. That's my first suggestion. My second one is, train yourself to go to God instead of to food. And notice I said train, because this will not come naturally to us. We have developed habits our whole life long in how we approach food. And it, in order to become godly, we have to break sinful habits and replace them with godly habits. And so there's a training involved. There is a discipline involved in that. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7. Do we have that one? Yes. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now that word discipline 
comes from a Greek word, and we get the, our English word gymnasium from it. The King James says, exercise yourselves for the purpose of godliness. In other words, <laughs> to become godly, you don't just, um, it doesn't happen through osmosis. It, could, it takes hard work. It takes exercise. How many of you just love to get up and go down to the gym and just work out? I don't. <laughs> I really do not like it. But if, if I'm not working on my job, I have to make myself do it. it it's work. It's effort. It's exertion that we have to make. The same thing is true when it comes to the spiritual life. To become godly, you have to exert yourself. Yes, it is a work of the Holy Spirit, but this work of the Spirit is not divorced from our personal involvement with the Spirit. We're actively involved in this sanctification process. So, it's much easier, isn't it, to pig out and watch TV instead of going to our prayer closets or taking a prayer walk or something like that. It's just a lot easier. Uh, it's a lot easier to surf the net than to search the scriptures. One, one is just easy. The other's hard. And godliness does not come to those who do not exert any effort in their spiritual life. So it, it takes training. So, so here we go. If we realize that, okay, I, I, I commit gluttony when I'm bored, or I commit gluttony when I'm stressed, that should be a, a, a clue to us. Oh, I need to be seeking God right now because I'm stressed. I'm bored. I'm lonely. I'm feeling empty. That's a, that's a sign that I need God, that I, that I need to seek Him at this point in my life. So we need to tr retrain ourselves, because we're already trained to go to food, retrain ourselves to go to God in those moments. That's not easy. That's why it takes exercise, it takes work. Okay, another suggestion, keep active serving the Lord. And I get this from John chapter 4 where Jesus' disciples come to Jesus and they said, Master, do you have any food? Have you eaten? And he says to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He says, I have food that you don't know about. In other words, he wasn't hungry. He lost his physical appetite because he was so caught up in the spiritual appetite of accomplishing the work of God. Now, do you know what Jesus had been doing in John chapter 4 up to this point? Do you remember the story? He's been ministering to that Samaritan woman. He was, his food was to do the will of God. And the will of God at that moment was to witness to this Samaritan woman and bring her into a saving relationship with the Father. Jesus had been doing that by teaching her and, and instructing her in the things of God. If we can get to the point where doing the will of God and doing the work of God becomes just as exciting or more so than our food, it's going to break the stranglehold of food in our life. So, pursue serving the Lord in your life. If you find yourself with lots of downtime, with just nothing to do, find a way to be actively serving God with those hours and those minutes. Okay, so there's another suggestion. A third one. Yes, one, no, this is four. The fourth suggestion, occasionally set aside time for fasting. And all of us, I don't know, maybe there's some of you that are really good at this. Probably most of us are pretty bad, me included. It's been a long time since I've fasted. But I thought of that this week. Well, 
Fasting, you are voluntarily denying your flesh, your bodily appetites, something that it could lawfully have, but you're saying no to it. You're building those muscles. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. So we have to learn to deny ourselves the things that are sinful in life. And fasting is one of the ways that is helpful for us to break the, the bondage to the flesh. So, so here's, I'm going to throw out this idea, and, and you can think about it, and you can pray about it. Set aside occasional times for fasting. You set aside time for prayer, don't you? Or for getting into the scriptures. We all have these habits where we try to set aside time for this and set aside time for that. Maybe we should put on our calendars. Maybe once a month, or once every two months, or once every couple weeks, or whatever you think is right for you, that I'll, I'll set aside that day. And on that day, I'm going to fast and seek God. I think that may go a long ways to help us in the discipline of overcoming the abuses of the flesh. And a final suggestion is this. Remind yourself to glorify God in your eating. So, Brian, how did, what do you mean glorify God in your eating? Well, did you know Paul is very explicit that that's one of the ways we're supposed to glorify God? In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, he says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all <clears throat> to the glory of God. Okay, so I'm supposed to glorify God when I eat and when I drink. Right? It's right there in the Bible. <laughs> okay, Lord, how do I do that? Well, number one, you thank God for what he has given to you. Right? We're appreciative. We, we're very thankful to the Lord because without it, we would be hungry, we'd be suffering. The pangs of hunger without the Lord providing. So we're thankful. Number two, we refuse to abuse the good gifts God has given to us. So number one, we're thankful for God's good gifts. Number two, we will not abuse God's good gifts. And so we will eat until we're full, until we're satisfied, until we don't need any more. But then we're not just going to go on eating and eating and eating. Because that doesn't bring glory to God. That's an abuse of His gift towards us. I hope, I hope our time today in the Word has been helpful to you. We, let's admit it, all of us struggle probably with this. We struggle with overeating. Um... Let's determine that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will progressively put this sin to death in our life because that's what will glorify God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your help today. We ask that you would help us, Lord, to, to exercise ourselves into godliness, to be filled with your Spirit. We pray, Lord, that we would be active serving you that we would occasionally set aside time for fasting, Lord, because you, you said when you fast, do this and that, and not if you fast. So it is to be part of our Christian life, Lord, and we pray we would not neglect that. Lord, remind us when we're eating to ask ourselves the question, am I glorifying God right now? Or am I indulging the flesh? But we pray that these would help us, Lord, to curb the, the, these fleshly appetites in a way that would bring honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen.